Our lives intersect the lives of other people, groups, or even whole governments. What happens next is what I explore in this podcast. Welcome to Intersections. I'm Brett Dickerson, your host. Welcome to episode 53 featuring two people I met at Thunder Plains 2016, a web and mobile developers conference in Oklahoma City sponsored by Techlahoma. Luke Crouch and Carlos Moreno have been at the center of a civic hacking group called Code for Tulsa, affiliated with the national civic hacking group Code for America. They each have day jobs, but on their own time, they have worked to make city government and services more accessible to the people of Tulsa. Luke, you are just what you do for your day job. You work for the Mozilla Foundation, don't you? Yes, I work for Mozilla. Uh, yeah. Right now, I'm a web developer working on privacy and security experiments for Firefox. Yeah, that's the that's the browser that a lot of us know about, yeah. Firefox. And so you're you're one of the developers on that. So yeah. first time I ever met you, I went, "Wow, man! There's somebody that actually works on Firefox." You know, I yeah. think I think I started using Firefox when it was like. Point nine, like like you know the point eight or the point nine, I think. So uh, yeah, it's come a, it's come a long ways. It's uh, always been an exciting project for me to watch. All right, well, Luke, tell me a little bit about the the beginnings of Code for Tulsa. I, I get the impression that you uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. I get the I get the impression that you were in very much involved in in kind of the beginning of Code for Tulsa. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I was uh, running Tulsa Web Devs uh, for a while, and okay. then what's a web dev? Uh, just web developers. Yeah, okay. So, All right. Tulsa Web Devs, um, a lot of us are web developers, and we would meet up and talk about um, different technologies and yeah. things like that. Mm-hmm. So one of the meetups, um, one of our members, John Whitlock, had come from, moved back from Portland. Yeah. And we wondered why the Tulsa Transit uh, was not on Google Maps. So if you went on Google Maps and tried to find you know, your way right. and say, how do I take the bus from here to there? Yeah. We didn't show up. Uh, so we kind of took it on ourselves to have a hack day on a Saturday and just see if we could do anything about that. And we did a lot of research. Um, we found out about GTFS and all these technologies that you need to do these things. And then really John Whitlock and uh, Matt Galloway and James Wagner and a few other mm-hmm. really early pioneers um, got that project started and actually built it over the course of a few hack days or hack nights, I think. Um, and that was kind of our first start into civic coding, civic hacking. Right, right. Um, so we weren't called to code for Tulsa then. Uh, I think uh, through that, we met up with um, Scott Phillips, who's a big mm-hmm. uh, entrepreneurial supporter um, okay. in Tulsa and has been doing a lot of awesome things in the community. And he sort of, he sort of saw mm-hmm. the potential in this to be very big. Great. Uh, so he started to get us together uh, more regularly to actually work mm-hmm. on projects. And at the same time, I found out about Code for America opening this brigade program. Yeah. I watched Jennifer Polka's video. I essentially, they had this, um, if you want to join the brigade program, you needed two captains. And so I put myself down and I had typed out an email to John Whitlock asking if yeah. he would join, but I didn't even wait for his reply. I just kind of <laughs> signed him up for it. <laughs> <laughs> so that was how we kind of started the mm-hmm. brigade, and everything's okay. kind of flowed from there. Wow. Okay. Now, now, how does how does Code for America 
resource code for Tulsa. Let's let's just kind of get right on the ground about that, about how that happens. Uh, I, yeah, I can answer that. Okay, Carl. Uh, yeah, Carlos. Carlos Marino is speaking now. So, uh, Carlos, tell us how long you've been in code for Tulsa. Yeah. So, um, really, kind of my story begins um, right at that uh, Tulsa Transit project. Wow. Okay. Um, the the work, the coding uh, itself had been had been done, um, but we, as a group, were really having a lot of trouble getting. Tulsa Transit as an agency and the city of Tulsa to um, actually approve and adopt the work that we had done yeah. um, because it hadn't gone through traditional, you know, procurement process. It hadn't gone through the traditional um, bureaucratic, um, you know, approval by the city council right. and, you know, right. all those, all those, you know, city government types of things that, that, mm-hmm. that the, that the city's used to doing. Right. Um, we didn't do any of that. We just kind of did it and then asked permission later. Um, <laughs> and, it, and it turns out that that asking permission later process, uh, uh, it really took uh, almost two years, yeah. um, which is kind of remarkable. But so it took a couple of nights to code that. Yeah, but it took a couple of years just just to re- kind of find your way through city government. Absolutely, project, right? Yeah, um, and and um, you know, so it really took a lot of political pressure. It took me um, going to city council meetings and saying, you know, we've done this work. Why? Uh, why can't we uh, push it forward? Why can't we make now, again, it a reality? This wasn't you guys proposing to set the city on fire. It was to put <laughs> it was to put maps of the city mm-hmm. transit system on Google onto Google, right, right. right. Totally and, radical idea, right? Well, yeah, Carlos, and, and yeah. you know, it's um, you know, again, cities aren't used to doing to working this way. Right? Yeah, yeah. you know, they have their own traditional um, right systems and 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 the, uh-huh. and the machines of government move very slowly right, right. um and so this wasn't uh vetted by a department head with right. each other right. exactly yeah. so none of none of that happened you know and so the city really didn't know what to do with us right yeah uh, for so it a took long them a couple time. of years it did it took took uh a lot of city council meetings and a lot yeah. of other um kind of nudging from um people at the mayor's office and city hall and, and kind of us, yeah. you know, figuring out, well, who makes the decisions and who's in charge. Um, so right. it really took us navigating a lot of that, a lot yeah. of those waters. And, and, um, you know, that, that's what I brought to the table is having yeah. come from another volunteer organization, uh, at the time, uh, it was Tulsa now. Yeah. Um, we had been used to those kinds yeah, of. Yeah, so you're already um, an activist, so right. you kind of knew what you were doing. We, we were into. used to kind of that yeah. activism type of work, right? Um, so it didn't it didn't scare us <laughs> or didn't scare me. <laughs> um, and so um, what you, you know, understood, we were able to get, we what you to get from that, that activist organization was mm-hmm. that it just takes patience and persistence, absolutely, add, added together. Yeah, hard not to get angry, but anger, sure. anger seldom <laughs> anger seldom helps, does it? Right, and yeah. and that's another one of the lessons that we learned back then is that um, now going forward from that project right. and the projects that we work on now, we know that it's much more beneficial to uh, to us to form those relationships early, right. and to do that yeah. kind of um, to attend those meetings and attend right. um, kind of be a part of the political process at the front end. So that by the time we finish a project, everybody knows about it. Everybody's aware of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we've kind of had to refine our own process and figure out how we yeah. work with the city government so that they can better work with us. Sound, sounds like you guys found out that, that starting by just getting to know committee members first 
be, before you stand up before the city council is a is a more productive route there. Isn't it? Now sometimes yeah. you have to stand up in front of city council, pound on the table, right. but it but it but it works better if you get to know committee members, right? Luke, yeah, go I'd ahead. say the the um, one of the things that we or that I remember the um, director of the Mozilla Foundation saying is that you. You, it's hard to convince people on your principles. Yeah, it's much easier to build something based on your principles and then put it in their hands, and all of a sudden <laughs> they understand. What a great statement! So, yeah, looking at that and what what we sometimes do is we will start conversations with, you know, other organizations right. or the city or somebody yeah. like that, and if those don't go anywhere, what we'll do is we'll try to build something, because sometimes it's easier to express our intent in a product. So we will yeah. build a product. And then show it to them on a phone, right? And they will go, "Whoa, now I get it!" Right? So being able to do that, as much as anything, yeah. sometimes you have to do that. Not necessarily like, "Hey, let's sit down with the city and have all these design sessions and build a thing." Sometimes yeah. it is literally just on a hackathon on a weekend. Right. Some we are like, "Hey, we've been thinking about this thing a whole bunch. Let's just go ahead and bang out a thing that we can show to people on a phone." Thinking about it from the standpoint of a of a city employee, do you do you think? Showing up with the product to start with, just just sort of takes a lot a lot of the a lot of the wind out of out of fears and things like that. That you're just up there to point fingers and whatever. You know, it's not it's not finger pointing if you show up with a product and say, "Here, I want to give this to you." I think as a technologist, I can understand that doing it either way right. has challenges, and sure. the challenge that I would I as a technologist would have with somebody basically having built something and then coming in and saying like, yeah. Hey, look, at this awesome thing is now you feel like the tech salesman who comes in and says, look, at this awesome thing. <laughs> if you buy it, it fixes all your problems. Don't worry about integrating it with all your current systems because I'm sure that will be easy for the staff to do. And you're talking to the staff and they're like, no, we know this is not easy. Right. So doing it either way, sometimes you yeah. have to use one tactic. Sometimes you have to use the other tactic. According to the situation. And just kind of, yeah. you know, and it, you have to be careful to say, this is the product that we build over the weekend. We understand that you do right. not want to base critical city infrastructure on a thing that we built in a weekend. <laughs> We're just trying to right. say, here's something that's possible. Good, good. Excellent, excellent. Um, so, so fast forward now. Where are you guys now? Do you think, Carlos, do you think, do you think today... You know, if if there weren't maps up, you know, of the city transit system on, on, on Google, do you think the relationships you have today now, do you think it would have taken, do you think it would take two years today to execute that that uh, project? Mm. Do you think do you think some of the factor was just the city getting used to you guys being there? So I think that, that relates to your earlier question. Yeah. You know, Code for America as an organization realizes that – dictating or running this movement from the top down right. simply doesn't work. Right. There's Even though there was a 2009 memo from the White House about uh, open government, and even though there's um, you know some initiatives since then that the White House has put out about government transparency and right. about um, publishing open data, um, you know, from, from the top down, those things take, you know, a really long time to sort of get down into the state and then into the local right. level. And so... Um, to their credit and to Jennifer Palka's credit and all the people who run um, both the fellowship program and the brigade program realized that something like this has to come from the bottom up. So they knew that they had to form uh, brigades in 80 different cities across the country. Um, And 
and get the um, uh, collaboration and the help from volunteers to work on these kinds of projects right. in those 80 cities yeah. um, for the movement to really take take hold. Um, and now what you're starting to see is um, because it's such uh, ha- has gotten kind of to a point where it's such a critical mass um, that it's kind of a given that governments should be working in this way, that should be more open and transparent. They should be accountable to their citizens. They should be taking citizen input to account at the front of of the process versus at the very end um, when you present uh, a plan for a neighborhood or a design for a street or a a new policy. You know, those kinds of things should get citizen input at the beginning instead of at the end. Um, So 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 that's really transformational. Today, today a new new project probably won't won't take two years if it's that that kind of you know that yeah absolutely really, i mean really and, and one really good you know one really good example is the uh tulsa transit um and tulsa, tulsa public schools project that we're working yeah. on today yeah. is we learned from the previous experience of you know kind of shouting at them for two years <laughs> about not doing what you know not implementing right. the work that we had done yeah. instead what we did was bring them into the room at the very beginning right. and sit them at a table with ourselves with um, Tulsa Public Schools and with a lot of local volunteers and saying, how can we make this um, initiative of giving students um, free bus passes right. uh, through the public school system? How can we make that easier uh, for the students? And so looking at it from sort of the user perspective, yeah. which is, again, uh-huh. kind of a, um, a new trend in software development is to is to develop the software from the user perspective. Mm-hmm. How do we bring that kind of mindset to a government uh, project? And so yeah. that that's a big change, but we were able to navigate that a lot quicker. Yeah. And so that project is taking, you know, three months. Um, and so still a long time if you're a software developer that's <laughs> used to doing something in a, in a weekend. But if you work um, for a city, right. a big but city with exactly. various people you know the the thing you know i cover city hall all all the time here and and the biggest thing the biggest shock that that new reporters have when they start covering city hall is just when you're there every city council meeting is just see how many different people with different agendas come to the city council and what the city council will fix it for them and so and so it's easy for the city council i i really think i really think it's amazing that city council members don't get any more kind of enamored and cynical about things than they do it's a real testament to their heart for the people of the city that mm-hmm. they that they don't uh, that that they're just all these different groups that show up and want the city council to 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 you know solve this problem for them and right. and uh, so when you show up with a with a really righteous program uh, you know, that's going to help a lot of people. It just looks like one among many things that they're hearing from. So you have to kind of get to know people, don't you? You have to be there sure. long enough for people to go, hey, hey, yeah, we know Carlos. Yeah, you know, we've talked to him. And, you know, he's been in my office. And, yeah, you know, he's not just here to pound on the table or, you know, right. to get himself on, on uh, you know, on the public service channel on TV or whatever, you know. He's, he's here to really... You know, to really get get some done for people. So, so yeah. are you are you kind of finding that that just time makes a big difference there? It does make a difference. It, it makes a difference that we've been around for now six years yeah. and working on these projects uh-huh. that we haven't gone away and it, it hasn't been just something we did on a whim uh, <laughs> and then you know went back to our um, little cubicles and didn't do anything else. You know, <laughs> um, but but you bring up a really good point. And one of the mantras of Code for America is government 
of the people by the people in the 21st century. Right. And so it really kind of does turn that model around of um, the citizens themselves doing something for themselves. Right. And right. that's something that yeah. um, I think is as even as, in cities and counties and states or even as a country, we've sort of lost. Yeah is this sense of like, this is my government and this is a democracy and I have a responsibility to yeah. contribute to that. And you're talking about democracy. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. you know. I'm a former government teacher, so. Sure. I'm just going, yeah, go. To, to yeah. The, to, well, I mean, to that city councilor, <laughs> it's like, you know, here's a movement, civic technology, that's saying, instead of me going to the city council and saying, fix this, fix this for me. Yeah, yeah. It's me coming to the city council and saying, how can I be involved in fixing that yeah, problem? yeah. yeah. Right. So what's my responsibility as a citizen yeah. in being a part of the solution instead of just coming and yelling at someone and, you yeah. know, how just come, expecting someone else to fix it. it. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like, well, I, I have a responsibility to help fix it, too. Yeah. Luke, and go then, ahead. Then, then, of course, I bring the tech angle to it. But yeah, I think what, it, what it's really done and that in the 21st century thing is saying is that in the 20th century, the way to participate in a democracy was just vote. But then yeah. we had mobile and social media technologies that connect us mm -hmm. and let us communicate and participate mm -hmm. about anything and everything quickly, rapidly in our busy lives. Right. All of that stuff was very you know, established, developed in this consumer space, right? And yeah. it became very clear that there, there is a lot more to communicating and participating than just delegating your right. input to somebody else to vote for you, like as yeah. a city councilor or whatever. Yeah. So like your participation in the democracy doesn't start and end at voting. It is you vote and you can use these civic tech products, these yeah. civic tech services to stay involved with your community and to help out and that kind of thing too. What what does Code for America do for Code for Tulsa? Um, I think we kind of touched on it. One of the one of the biggest values that we have from Code for America is interacting with the rest of the brigade network. Um, okay. Just being able to talk to the other network. 80 cities okay. um, where people like us are doing this. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, we're on the Slack all the time and we just pop in there and ask a question about <laughs> like, oh, we're working with transit data. Does anyone has does anyone have experience mm -hmm. with doing this or that with transit data? And there's, you know, 270 or 300, 400 people on the other end of that question mm -hmm. that are like, oh, yeah, we've done this. You should try this thing that Pittsburgh did or something like that. Yeah. And it just comes out of nowhere. Yeah. You guys, you guys in Tulsa are not, none of you are paid, right? No, no. Nobody's been right. paid. In fact, we've all probably footed a couple of bills. I remember I accidentally <laughs> paid a $300 Twilio bill because one of our apps <laughs> became way too popular and it was just on my credit card. <laughs> Yeah, okay. So, yeah, so you guys, what these code organizations are doing is 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 that you're taking your skills and you're bringing them forward so that there isn't just monetary value for, you know, somebody's next cool advertising campaign or whatever. It's 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 for you have you have day day jobs where you're helping somebody make money and then they give you money for that and that's the whole idea, uh, but but on your off hours you're bringing those same skills to a civic organization instead of belonging to the Qantas Club and making pancakes you guys are out there writing code, right? Yeah, and yeah. I, it's um there's a, a really interesting book um called Drive by Dan Pinkman and he talks about wow. what uh, especially creative uh, professionals are looking for. Yeah. Uh, the three main things are autonomy and mastery and purpose. And right. if they're not getting that in their day job, 
they're gonna go find that somewhere else this is why people go yeah. you know learn guitar even though they're not going to be a you know guitarist or musician yeah. they're basically like uh-huh. i want to i want to decide what i'm going to do yeah. i want my autonomy yeah. i want to get better at the thing that i'm already good at uh-huh. and i want to contribute to a purpose that i believe in uh-huh. right and so civic coding gives Great. all of us coders basically that outlet even even if we're getting Great. some of that in our day jobs we can't get enough of it so yeah, yeah it's about a lot more than the money it's about these things that you know we all want yeah and we get it here so. at this conference i keep hearing passion projects over and over again those are those are really kind of the lifeblood of a coder aren't they because frankly some of the stuff you do is just it's just really hard work and you just do it out of, out of discipline because somebody's paying paying you to do it, it needs to be done, and it's not fun. But you have what you call, what coders call, passion projects. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I'd say um, it's one of the things. Uh, as there's this um, movement underway, uh, rightly so, to get more people involved in coding and coding education right. and STEM and all of this kind of stuff. One of the things about coding is that you have to have an incredible amount of grit to be able to deal with. Right. really frustrating things for a long amount of time. So you might spend two hours trying right. to debug something where it was a semicolon instead of a colon. Right. And you just spend yeah. two hours of your life looking for like six pixels on a screen. <laughs> it's terrible, right? <laughs> but once you make that breakthrough, it feels awesome because the thing yeah. is working again and you know it goes out to thousands of people or whatever. Yeah. So the reason that a passion project um, is so important is that if you pick up something that you are passionate about, your passion is willing to get you through that terrible two hours because on the end of it, (laughs) you're like, wow, I made the thing that I set out to make and it was this thing I believed in and it Mm -hmm. does exactly like, you know, the change that I wanted to make in the world, I got to make it. That's a, that's a good tiny little window into a coder's life. You can, you can spend, somebody who's really good at it can spend two hours looking for a semicolon. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, I mean, it's TV and movies and whatever, but whenever they show, you know, people coding, it's always like, you know, 16 keystrokes. (laughs) Just flying through Two people on the same keyboard, and then like two hours later with lots of coffee, there's Facebook. (laughs) Like, oh, you made Facebook. Good job. That is not how it happens, even for the really, really advanced coders, right? Like, there is a lot of just. There might be two people sit down and do that, but it isn't going to turn out like Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, guys, thank you. Thank you so much. Carlos, I want to ask you about something. You were uh, talking in there in the panel mm. about about a new project. Do you mm. have a new project coming up about about texting people for court dates and things like that? Yeah, is absolutely. That just an idea. Well, and that's um, so. Going back to one of your early questions about Code for America and how they help, um, we went to uh, the Code for America Summit last year, and of course, we went this year just a couple of days ago. But um, one of the projects that has come out. Um, of Code for America is uh, uh, is called Courtbot, um, and that's a project out of Atlanta. And what it does is send um, reminders for a court date through SMS te- text yeah. messaging. Uh-huh. And it sounds, you know, like a really simple idea. Uh, but what this is doing, um, and there's research that has come out um, very recently about the amount, um, the success. Right. So people who get reminders about showing up for a court date yeah. show up more often right. um, and, and have fewer fines um, on their record and, and miss court dates on their record if they're simply reminded um, that they need to come. And right. so right. For, um, for a lot of states, and Oklahoma is working on this um, and California is working on this as well, um, to try and change um, 
keeping people in jail right. for simply not able to pay their bail. Yeah. Um, and so and as part every, of this part of this legal every change city, that's going every city on, in the mm-hmm. United States has that, don't they? They they have yeah. jails with many people in it. Sure. Who just simply missed a court date. Yep. They, they didn't get the mail, the mailer. They did. They didn't. They forgot what day it was. Yeah. They missed a court date. They're not out there robbing the next door or whatever. Right. They 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 missed a court date. Exactly. Yeah. And you can look up. Uh, there's articles in the Atlantic, in the New York Times, <laughs> Washington uh, right. Post. This has yeah. been an issue that's been a nationwide issue. Yeah. Um, that even and 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 what's interesting to me about it is that both sides of the aisle, mm-hmm. the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, right. um, ha- this is one of the very very few things <laughs> that they agree on is that we are wasting a yes. ton of taxpayer money. Right. Right. On this issue, and just in Tulsa, Oklahoma alone, you've got one third um, of the people who are sitting in the county jail mm-hmm. who are not serving time for uh, crimes that they've committed. They're simply waiting uh, to hear from a judge, and they right. could be waiting a week. They could be waiting four weeks, up to six weeks. When you are in jail for more than four weeks, DHS takes your children away. You yeah. could lose your job, yeah. and so now you know we're taking away the things that keep people from committing more crimes. Yeah. Um, and so it's just this completely backward system that we could fix. And so what I love about CourtBot is here's one very simple solution. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Tulsa, what we plan to do is add not just text messaging, but also a voice system to it and, uh, and inform, be able to inform not just the person who got the citation, but their family members as well, because their right. family um, is a very important part of um, uh, reducing recidivism, reducing the... Um, yeah. uh, 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 the potential for this person to commit another crime in the future yeah. is if their family is involved in this process, if, if, if grandma or aunt or mom or dad or uncle know about uh, about this person's court date, they're more likely to be able to give them a ride. They're more likely to be able to help yeah. them out in Families, things like this. Families so. share transportation, exactly. a lot, which is something that people who live in the suburbs where there are four and five cars in the family don't don't get sure. that, that, that among the working poor, especially, there, yeah. there might be one car in an extended family. Right. And if the family members know, they, they can help that person exactly. get support on time. Yeah, exactly. If they so, don't know, they... they so having those family networks um, is is critically important yeah. um, to reducing crime, um, to yeah. reducing um, jail population. So it, it has all yeah. these... Um, all these added effects, these yeah. sort of domino effects that you start to see. Um, so this is just a project that we're very, very excited about, and, and we're working with both uh, the public defender's office and the DA's office in Tulsa, which, again, um, normally those two people are um, just butting heads with each other every day <laughs> in a courtroom. Uh, but here's something that we've been able to bring them together on, and they both agree, hey, this is important work. Uh, we need to be doing this work, and let's implement this for Tulsa. So um, we're just, again, we're just really excited about it. That concludes our interview. There are several ways for you to catch this weekly podcast. Go to our website at intersectionsok.com where you can subscribe, listen to episodes, read the backstory, and see photos of our guest. On iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and our Facebook page, we are Intersections Oklahoma. On Twitter and Instagram, we are Intersections OK. I always want to hear about the cool people in your life. So write to me. My email address is ideas at intersectionsok.com. Steven Tyler is our awesome production advisor, and I am your host, Brett Dickerson.